Please remain standing for the reading of God's word. Today's reading comes from 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 6 through 13. But now that Timothy has come to us from you and has brought us the good news of your faith and love and reported that you always remember us kindly and long to see us as we long to see you. For this reason, brothers, in all our distress and affliction, we have been comforted about you through your faith. For now we live. If you are standing fast in the Lord, for what thanksgiving can we return to God for you? For all the joy that we feel for your sake before our God, as we pray most earnestly night and day, that we may see your, you face to face and supply what is lacking in your faith. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you, and may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you, so that he may establish your hearts blameless and holy, blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. This is God's word. Praise God. Thank you, brother. Maybe see that and we'll spend some time in prayer together. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for uh, the opportunity to sing to you because you are worthy. All that you have done in our lives this week, keeping us, drawing us toward righteousness, reminding us of you making us whole in Christ. Pray, Lord, that this time your Holy Spirit would speak to us uh, as we open up your word, as we learn more about the blessing of the Thessalonican church. And how you use Paul. Lord, we ask that um, you would graciously use me. Uh, Pray for humility and wisdom. And for you to be made much of and not anyone else in this room. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. All right, family. So we are in the book of First Thessalonians, as you are well aware. If you are a visitor, uh, we have been going through First Thessalonians for uh, the fall, basically. So far, uh, we spent a little break uh, in the summer, and then before that, we were in Exodus. We go through books of the Bible in our local community uh, to make sure our prayers that we would have the whole counsel of God's word uh, as our desire. Please, if you get a chance, go and you can check out uh, these. These sermons online uh, to catch up. Uh, just in a nutshell, First Thessalonian uh, is, is a is a pastoral has a kind of a pastoral's heart as as Paul uh, is is longing to to make sure uh, that these that these people are fighting a fight of faith. Well, uh, he's encouraged uh, by their their walk with Jesus. Uh, he's and he's blown away at their perseverance. Uh, and we see this, and especially the reason why this is important is because of the time frame that he had uh, to pour into them. Uh, seems amazing. And also the conditions, the scenario that was at hand was the issue of persecution. If you go to Acts chapter 17, that's where you will see what's happening with the Thessalonican church. You see the persecution. You see them kick Paul, uh, Silas, and Timothy out. Uh, you realize that he he had been ministering to them at best for a couple months. I was proposed to you probably about a month. Uh, and yet, uh, it says as he's as he writes this letter that uh, he's encouraged by their faith. Their faith is actually known in other parts of the land, uh, and so you're seeing that fruit is happening, even though uh, these guys are in the midst of great persecution. And what I've said is uh, that I've hoped 
uh, that some of our takeaways would be understanding this pastor's heart, understanding uh, how Paul thought about the Thessalonians and, and, and how that basically, how we can learn from that. But also just wanting you to, uh, to have a heart uh, for, uh, for missions, you know, and have a heart for the persecuted church. Uh, that we would realize and see uh, this this church standing firm in Christ, um, even though, again, not having kind of the resources that we have. And also, again, picture, you know, the guy who's ministering to you gets kicked out. You have to stay in the land and it's still a hotbed of fury. People thinking that you're trying to overturn the government and all this madness. And yet they still stand firm in Jesus. So this is kind of the picture that we have here. And, oh, it's so good to see this. Uh, so this is the kind of picture that we have uh, in in this book as we are trying to understand like what, what like the, the passion of Paul for uh, his people. And hopefully it will minister to us to say, man, what is our what is our passion for the people of God? Like, how do we care for the people of God? Uh, seeing uh, the dedication of Paul and Timothy and Silas. And so this, this pericope here, this passage here is an interesting passage, guys, because it, it really ministered deeply to my heart because it exposes something that I think I'm, I'm hoping it also exposing you um, as well. And I hope that the Lord will allow us to do some work in our hearts uh, to exalt his name. We we understand uh, that Christianity. When you hear Christianity, you often hear the word love, uh, and, and you know that basically one of the the main fruits of Christianity is love. And we're going to talk about that. Uh, but I want us to kind of consider it in ourselves as we've heard. Christian cliches for so long, whether you are a believer or an unbeliever about Christianity and and the equality of what does it mean to love. And we've kind of heard those words together for so long. I I want us to kind of ask ourselves, how do we get past understanding that doctrine, understanding even the doctrine of love and ask ourselves, how do we have a heart of love? How do we get this kind of heart? How do you get a heart that's that, that we, that we've seen the last few weeks of caring for people at such a level, or even as I might say, the Thessalonians toward Paul even. How do you get this kind of love for people? Do we as a local community love each other like this? As you look around this room, is there that kind of fireball, passionate love that you have for the people of God, specifically in this place? Let's look at what Paul says, and, and hopefully we will, we will be encouraged. We'll be spurred on toward love and good deeds. Verse 6, it says, But now that Timothy has come to us from you, right? So Timothy has come back. He's, he's, he's seen these guys. He's now reporting back and has brought us the good news of your faith and love. Basically, he's let us know that you're walking with Jesus, that you're seeking Christ, right? That you're, you're enjoying God. He's brought the good news back and reported that you always remember us kindly and long to see us, which is huge. How do we know that? Because remember in the first two chapters, what was one of the, mo- the main motives of operation was that he kept trying to build a case that, hey, I'm not shysty. I didn't preach the gospel to you for money. I wasn't trying to just lift up myself and just be wise. It wasn't about me. It was really about pouring my life out to you. You can trust me. I love you. I care for you. He really wanted them to know, don't believe the haters. Don't believe the people who are saying, that guy, does he really love you? I know we, they, they kicked him out, but why, he, why didn't he come back? Really trying to kind of pick at probably his authenticity, his passion for, for the Thessalonians, right? 
But he, but here, this is cool, right? He's, he's excited because he's like, oh, no, they're like, no, no, no. No, Paul, we, we, we didn't, the, for some reason, these haters, these people, which obviously Satan wanted to use to kind of build some dissension, had no part. They're like, no, Paul, we love you. We know who you are. That, that didn't matter at all. I love the protection of God in that. Right, he's all nervous, wondering if they're like, "Yeah, we agree," because you know he's had some other churches who actually agreed with the dissentious people. Right, First Corinthians. That's why you had to write another book. Second Corinthians was to say, "Actually, really, really, I'm not a jerk." Right, that's basically the theme of Second Corinthians. I'm not a jerk. Right, by Paul. Right, and and so he's had to have these moments where he's had to kind of prove himself to be a worthy apostle. But here, it says no. And reported that you always remember us kindly and you long to see as you remember us for who we are. You know what we've done. You've been encouraged by our faith. You see me pour my life out. You see me travel out until I saw Christ formed in you. And you long to see us and you can't wait to see us too. There's this mutual love. Isn't that always cool with people that you care about when they love you back? As we long to see you. I say that because there's people you love and they don't love you back. It's painful. It's painful. So he's saying these haters didn't affect things. He was nervous. Verse 7, it says, For this reason, brothers, in all our distress and affliction, we have been comforted about you through your faith. For this reason, we have been, brothers, in all our distress and affliction. Now, don't miss this now. Remember, we're talking about love here. So he said, for this reason, let me just be really clear. We have our own emotional and physical distress. These are basically synonyms, distress and afflictions, right? We have been comforted about you. How? Through your faith. How were they encouraged? How? Like, what, what blessed them? What blessed them was that these people were doing good, right? He was, he was more, he was concerned about how they were doing. And, and when he found out that they were encouraged, that they were, they were enjoying Christ, it actually ministered to him. It gave him what was needed, Right? In verse 8, it says, for now we live if you are standing fast in the Lord. I want you to keep seeing this, this sense of like, man, like he's so tied to how they're doing. Remember, he got beat up. He got kicked out. And yet he's not talking about just necessarily like what he needs. And the world is as it were of like, uh, I need this material thing or something that's kind of selfish. Do you know what he needs? What's interesting to me throughout this, this piece here that we're looking at and throughout what you hopefully you've seen in first in chapter one and chapter two, what he needed, what would deeply minister to him was that you're doing okay. What would encourage him was not that man, his wounds would heal and his shoulder would be put back in place and he would, and it would feel like it used to when he was a teenager. But what, but what deeply what Paul wanted, he didn't care about all the, he said all that stuff, what ministers to me. It's all worth it when I know that you're walking with Jesus. When I know that you're seeking Christ. I know that you're, you're reading your Bible, that you're, that you're discipling people. Guys, that's a, that's a selfless love. What we're talking about here is selfless love. Now, I'm going to read a few things because I, I don't want to mess this up. So, but, but I want you to understand when we talk about selfless love, it's, it's powerful because Paul, Paul's love is so big, it sounds like like their perseverance, their passion for Christ, that in itself impacted Paul's life. Does that happen to you? Like literally, 
does your joy and, and, and sorrow does it find itself based on how the people of God are doing spiritually in the Lord? On how people are enjoying Christ here or not enjoying Christ here? Or do we take our cues from the world where it's a dog eat dog world? And if I'm doing okay, cool. I'll pray for you. But man, it's really about how, how am I doing? Let me make sure I'm okay. I'm going to say a few things and, and it's going to hit against what the world believes. But I'm, I'm, I'm convinced that the Bible has this thread throughout. This, this radical sense of selfless love. Selfless love. I'm going to keep saying that. He says, for now, in verse 8, for now we live. If you are standing fast in the Lord, we live. Like now we have, we have life. Now, I, like, like that's what's giving me joy. That's what's going to allow me to keep on keeping on. Guys, I was so convicted because I'm like, man, I don't think like that. I don't know if I think like that. I don't know if I tie myself, if, I, if, I, if, I'm, if, I'm, if I'm willing enough to just let my heart be free enough to tie myself because you get so hurt to people at that level where how they're doing the Lord literally affects your livelihood. Look what he says here. Verse 9, for what thanksgiving can we return to God for you? For all the joy that we feel for your sake before our God. Let me do a few things here. Let's talk. A lot of this time together is going to be um, talking about why. Because I think that the text is so plain. There's not a lot of expositing that has to happen here, right? I'm not going to fool you and act like, so what, is, what does love mean? It means love. And then what, you know, like the, the, te- the text is plain. But what I do think sometimes is we, we need to know the why. Like we need to know why. So, so first I'm going to talk about the whole concept of love. Um, let me just go to a passage that's uh, 1 Corinthians 13. It gets misinterpreted all the time. And I want to read a little bit to you and talk about this whole concept of love. Because I'm, you ever think to yourself, there's all these spiritual gifts, okay? Verse 12, I mean, chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians talks about um, all the different gifts that God has given us, Okay? And I just want to propose to you, why is, why is love in Paul's mind kind of the linchpin of how all the other things flow? It seems hope and faith, all these things, like, he's like, these things flow out of, out of love, right? He, he's, he, I propose to you in 1 Corinthians, he makes it clear, here's what, how these, these gifts that we use flow. He says in verse 1, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or clanging cymbal. Okay? Now, before this, he's he's made a statement where he's sharing with people, guess what? You have spiritual gifts. Some of us have a gift of prophecy, right? I think I have that gift where I can tell the truth and God uses that stuff. Some of us, we can have discernment of spirits. Uh, Some of us have the gift of wisdom. Right, the gifts of, of hospitality. We have all these different gifts. But then he comes here, he says, there's all these gifts, but, it, I, but I'm struggling because I think you guys are prioritizing gifts in the wrong way. It's basically the framework that he's talking about in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. You can check it out in your own time. And then he comes here to this passage right here. And he says, well, 
If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a, a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. Verse 2, and if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, right? So first and foremost, let's, let's, let's parse this out. Tongues of men and of angels. Like that's, that's saying that there's men's speech and there's angel speech, right? And sometimes we can misinterpret this passage by saying that's men's speech and then there's tongues, right? But, but look at the scriptures. When have you seen an angel speak in tongues? You haven't, right? Because his point isn't that there's, there's human speech and then there's angelic speech. Because I propose to you, there is no angelic speech, right? Where, where, where an angel is saying something and we're like, what do you say, God? And God's like, well, he's using tongue speech. That doesn't happen in the Bible. You can understand what angels are saying in scripture, Okay. But his point there is that if there was if there was human speech and this amazing God speech from these two dichotomies, but yet you don't have love and it's meaningless. It's hyperbole. This is what we all do to make a point. It's all throughout scripture. You want to make a point with someone, you give them an outlandish example, right? So they can understand how serious the point you're trying to make. So that so that if you so you say, well, really, Eric, well, look at what he does. He does it over and over again. He says, if I have prophetic powers, verse 2, and understand all mysteries, get your Bibles open now. Make sure you listen to this. I don't know if it's up here, so you got to make sure you're looking at your Bible. And if I'm prophetic, if, if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, well, who has all knowledge and all mysteries? God. So his point isn't, you're not going to go, oh, yeah, if I do have all power, well, you don't, because you're not God. Right? So his point, again, is hyperbolic. If I knew everything, well, who knows everything? Only God. But I have not love. Right? He says, I knew everything. And if I have all faith so as to remove a mountain, who has ever moved a mountain with their faith? Well, you go, move mountain, move mountain, you know, Mount Everest. No. His point is hyperbolic. He's trying to make a point here. But if have not love, I am nothing. If you could do that, which you can't, but even if you could, but if you weren't loving, he said, if you have those kind of gifts, but not love, it's meaningless. He says, if I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned. You see these outlandish things he's bringing up? But I have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient, verse 4, and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its way, own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Verse 8, love never ends. As for prophecies, another gift, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. Another gift, as for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, I propose maturity, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face in Perusia. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I've been fully known. And check this out. Verse 13. So now faith, hope, and love abide. These three but the greatest of these is love. You see what he's saying? And then he goes in the verse 14. Pursue love. Verse 1. Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy for one speaks in tongues. And he goes on and on. And so guess what he's saying here, guys? And I just think this, I, I want us to, just to digest this. Don't miss this. I know that was a lot. 
what, what Paul, what, what Paul is saying to the Corinthians there is that God has given us all spiritual gifts, right? But we all don't have all spiritual gifts. So we, some have more than others, right? But he's saying the one, he says, and so that means that you might never be able to have the gift of prophecy, and that's okay, because God has given other people that for the edification of the church. So we all have different gifts. But what he says, he says, no one has the excuse not to have, as it were, the spiritual gift of love. You hear that? What he's saying is that he gives them severally as he wills, verse, I mean, chapter 12, but there's one gift he's given every human because they're created in Imago Dei, and that's the gift of love. That's his point in 1 Corinthians. You're looking for this gift. You want this gift. You want this gift. He says you can have all that. But if you don't have love, and that's why he says eagerly desire the greater gift. Well, what's the greater gift? He just told you. He's telling you this is the greater gift. Love. That you can desire the gift of love. And guess what? What's so amazing about that is every other gift that God has given us, he gives severally as the Holy Spirit wills. That some of us won't get some of these gifts. But the gift of love he's given all of us. Everybody can love. Everybody can love. That blows me away. That the most important gift he's given for the world to see and go, wow, that's Christ, is a gift he's given everybody. So no one has an excuse. Now, why do I bring that up? Because we see here in this whole passage, in this whole book, 1 Thessalonians, what is it girded on? He's showing you and I that, that the people weren't enamored by his prophetic gift. They weren't enamored by the supernatural things, as it were, that God had given him. The things he kept coming to, the things he kept asking them to do, is to love. Love radically. Use that gift. Sacrificially care for people. Pour your life out. See, everyone can do that. See, some of the people don't have the gift of hospitality. Right? You've had that right where some, you know, you try to be nice and stuff and people like, they see you and they're like, that's cool. But you have someone who has the gift of hospitality, like the Holy Spirit inspires that stuff and they give you a cookie and you're like, mmm. Right? Some of us will, I know you're looking around, some of us never have that. But God is saying we can all love. Very good. So you continue on the verses. What he's doing here is he's trying to make a juxtaposition between prophecy and tongues. Because what they were doing in the first century in the book of Corinthians is that they were lifting up tongues as being the most important gift. And what he was saying to them is that it makes no sense. He's like, if you want to you know what people are saying, that's why he talked about the angel speech. He's saying, if you want to speak like that, that's cool. But what you want to do is you want to be able to know the truth. And so he's telling them, you would rather be able to know the truth in English versus speaking tongues where people don't know what you're talking about. So, so his point, so his point, so yeah, you got to go back to 1 Corinthians 14, so it gets kind of crazy. So what he's really trying to do is he's trying to debunk bad theology where people were lifting up gifts. So he says, desire the greater gifts, and guess what? Prophecy, you want to make sure that you're telling the truth before you're lifting up, and you're going to see as you read through the 1 Corinthians 14, read through it, you're going to see him talk about Having a thousand words in tongues versus five words in English, or and I'm saying English, I'm in 2017, but but five words in, in an intellectual language. He's exactly it's contextual, but you but we all should seek to tell the truth. And there's two different prophecies, and I know I'm going off track, but for you academicians, you like this. There's the foretelling, right? Telling, telling something that's going to happen in the future, and then there is there's foretelling, right? And then there's foretelling. There's like telling the truth. 
You understand? So there's two different kinds of prophecy that happens in the kingdom. There's people who can literally, God inspires them where they can tell you things that are, has not happened. And then there's people who literally are just truth tellers. They just, they, they tell you the truth. It's from God's word kind of deal. So, good question. I know that threw everybody off. So try to come back with me because that, that's a, that was a really good one, but I know it's, just, it's kind of deep for 1 Corinthians 14, but I asked for it because I took you there. So, that's all right, brother. So, so, but my point is, I bring the gift, I, I want to talk about the why. Because the reason why he can sit here and continue to harp on this concept of love, because in the power of the Holy Spirit, he understands everybody has access to do that. I don't want us to miss that. He's not asking you to do something you can't do, right, in the Holy Spirit. He's asking you to do something that God has given us all. Now, why, the reason why I bring that up is because if we understand that the doctrine of love, that God is, he's, he's, he's hardwired us to be able to care for people, to be able to pour our life out for Jesus, to be so sacrificial, then, then, then what I want to propose to you is that what we're seeing here, and I want to say that I think the key, and I'll make sure I don't miss this, uh, notice the joy in verse 9 and throughout the two chapters that we've seen that Paul has for their well-being. Notice how, 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 how his life is tied to theirs. And I want to propose to you, if you want to have a joyous life in understanding what God has done with this whole concept of love, and you want to, you want to be a man or woman with joy, that selfless love has to be your mode of operation. I want to propose to you that many of us, including myself, we want to have joy in this life. We want to experience the freedom that comes with Jesus, but we do not want to live a life of selfless love. And I want to propose uh, your joy happens only to the degree your concern for others increase and your desire for self-love decreases. I'm proposing that, that, that what we're seeing here is pragmatically Jesus kind of letting us see through Paul and we see practically through Jesus and we have all the true text verses to show you about Thanksgiving. We're going to look into all that. That literally what happens is that you and I, we want joy. We want happiness. We want to have that freedom. But yet we are so self-consumed and selfish and we don't understand why we're not experiencing that joy. And I'm proposing to you because we don't live like this. Because we are not selfless people where we're saying, I'm more concerned about you than even myself. Uh, a lady named Linda Horst, um, I forget when she died, boo. Um, years ago, a family that supported, supports us in ministry. <clears throat> I remember these guys are super humble people. They, they would support us like $75 or $100 a month. And then two of their kids were sleeping in the same bed in this little old room. My house was bigger than theirs. This is, it was just a weird dichotomy, you know. I'm watching this self-sacrificial love. They're just wonderful people. They started supporting me in 99 or 98. And, uh, you know, t- I, I, don't, I forget how, how long ago it was, many years now. And she was young. She was like 40-something, 40, 40, maybe 42. Uh, she gets uh, cancer. And basically, in one month, she dies. Uh, just out of the blue, she has twin shit, four, four, she has four kids. Uh, at this moment, I was just, I was mentoring their, her. Her sons are like twelve. Uh, the youngest, they're now both in ministry. Praise God. Um, but, but I just remember when she was, you know, that that month. Um, you know, we went to, went to Pennsylvania. Actually, the, the the Pennsylvania group that comes to visit, it comes to serve us, is from that church, that family. Um, 
And and uh, I remember going to visit these guys on her deathbed. Literally, she's in hospice, you know, head shaving the whole nine. And, and it was just amazing to me. You go up to her, you know, and she's hurting because it was like cancer, I forget, in the stomach or something. So it was like really hard, like hard. It was like painful. And you would think there was nothing wrong with her. She, You know, you come in there and the first thing she's talking about is you. You know, praying for you and how's the ministry going. And, you know, and I'm thinking, what? Like, can we talk about you for a minute? You know, and she's like, no, no. So, man, I'm just so thankful for you. And can't wait for the ministry. The Lord's going to, you know, and all this just. And I just remember thinking when I was reading this this week, I feel like the Holy Spirit is Linda. Like selfless love. She was more concerned. She's dying. And she was more concerned about what we were up to and what God was doing in our ministry. And I thought, man, Lord, would you would you allow me to have that heart? Daily where it's not all always about me and well, you don't know my needs, but I'm like, I'm just more concerned about how you're doing. I want to make sure you're seeking Christ. I want to make sure you're enjoying God. I want to make sure I'm, I'm concerned about your joy. And, I'm, and, I, and I bring up the Corinthians. I'm telling you guys, it's not, a, it's, it's, it's not a rabbit trail. I want to propose to you that's a serious doctrine. When you understand that God has given you the greatest gift. It's not tongues. It's not prophecy. And sadly, though, in our churches and also in the world, right, we, we, we lift up people who speak the best. You know, we lift up people who know the most people and who, who are most handsome. And we lift up the people who can, who can, like, get the crowd going. And we don't say, no, I just want the humble person that loves. Show me that dude. Show me that girl. I mean, when I was in seminary, there's, there's fast tracks everywhere. And there was a fast track in seminary. And I remember being a part of this preaching cohort that was like the, the best preachers or whatever you want to call it in the, in the seminary. And I, and I remember getting the opportunity to go to Scotland uh, to get our THM because that's what they do. They give you a scholarship and you go into just a fast track of seminary. Sadly, you got one in the seminary. And I remember the Holy Spirit gave us grace to just recognize like it's like a gang. Like it's like. The person who, who gets the scholarship is always in this group. But I'm like, two things I realized. I was like, first, I actually think there's some better preachers outside this group. And I was in it. And I'm like, there's more humble people. There's some deep, humble, loving people that's not a part of this group. They're not in the know. And they're going to get passed up just because they're not in the group. Why does our world operate like that? Why don't we, why don't we, amen. Why does our church operate like that? Selfless love. Selfless. So in Corinthians, he's, he's saying, if you don't, if you have all this stuff, but you don't have love, what does it mean? And so I'm saying, bring it back here. We see Paul having this, this kind of love. And you see it in thankfulness, right? You, you, can I just look at, look at, so, so let me bring all this together. So you have love. I'm saying you want joy. Joy is tied to how are you hoarding your life or giving it out, right? It's a scary thing to give it out. But then think about Thanksgiving. I'm going to put some passages about Thanksgiving. Um, You got a few of, you know what, let's just pause on the passage with Thanksgiving. Hold on, let's pause on those passages re- real quick, okay? I'm sorry. Um, can I just say, even though I say, life is not about you, do we live like that? I'm, a- I'm asking you these things. I want to propose the contrary is the same. So I'm saying, pour your life out, 
if you pour your life out and you, you have a selfless posture, this kind of seems to me that it was kind of heart you have like Paul. But in the same way, mean-hearted people, right, people who are kind of like always about themselves. And I've seen it as a pastor pragmatically. I'm, I'm, I'm convinced of the theology. I've seen it so practically, guys. I'm telling you, as I love you, 10 years as a pastor here, the biggest thing that stunts the growth of people that I love, that I've seen in our body, is people who cannot recognize grace. People who can't see what God is doing. And you know how you recognize people who can't see what God is doing? Because they're not thankful. They're not grateful. It's always another thing that happened to me. Here's another thing. And oh, my life's so... And this and that and the other. And you've got a complaining spirit. And then you wonder why there's no joy. Because you're always looking that this happened to me when I was a kid and I got, and don't get me wrong, I'm not, hear me, hear me family, I'm not trying to make a light of anyone's molestation in here, anyone's drug abuse, anyone just being treated horribly by people, friendships, betrayals, I'm not making light of that. But what I am proposing to you is that the Lord of the scriptures is saying you don't focus, you don't magnify those things, you magnify the Lord. Those things happen and they hurt and they're real. But it's a trick of Satan for you to focus on it so that you lose your joy because you're not giving out. Because you're not experiencing a self-sacrificial love where you're like, yeah, these things happen. Look at Paul. He got beat up the worst and yet he's more concerned about them. You don't see him talking about himself unless he's trying to let people know how much he loves them. Do you see that family? And so, man, I just, I'm praying for our body that we would really ask ourselves, man, am I selfless? So, man, you want to, you, 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 you want to experience joy? That, that, that's to me the remedy. And I'm telling you, you stay in your stuff. You always focus on you. It's always about you. We're going to always be here. It's going to, you know, but it's grace. <laughs> I, I propose to you, you know, we can do it all right. I just want to give it, give it quick. I love this here because, because he says, for with Thanksgiving, can we return to God for you for all the joy that we feel for your sake before our Lord? This is deeply ministered to me, guys. So that's why I'm going on. Verse nine, I think is amazing because he doesn't thank the Thessalonians. The Thessalonians are the ones who are telling people and all this stuff's happening. And he says, I thank the Lord. I think it's very interesting. That his focus is, he's so God-focused. God is the one he thanks. God is the one he owes. He's showing a sense of indebtedness to him. Which is interesting to me. That he sees that God is in this. It's not that these guys had it together. But God was grateful. God was gracious, excuse me. And so even the sense of thanksgiving. You know, I propose to you, Thanksgiving, right? We're talking about being grateful. The reason why it's so important is because Thanksgiving is not like God just want to have you thanking him all the time, right? But Thanksgiving models that you show that there's an indebtedness that you have to God, right? That, that when, you, when you're thankful to God, right, it shows like that, you, that you know that God has done something in your life. And then in that, it, it builds joy in your heart. Because you're seeing God doing things for people. See, I want to propose that God has hardwired us. And this is why I think there's such a connection. And we're going to go home soon. And I think God has actually, according to what we're seeing here, he has hardwired us uh, to be thankful 
people who see his grace. And that's why the scriptures talks about us ministering to the Lord. Did you know you, you can minister to the Lord? That seems weird. Right? He's totally self-sufficient. He has everything. He doesn't need us. But the scriptures talk about you and I being able to minister to the Lord. Did you know that? Let's put up a few verses real quick. Let me see if I have some. Let me read a few. First, Deuteronomy 10, uh, verse 8. At, the, at that time, the Lord set apart the tribe of Levi to carry the ark of the covenant of the Lord, to stand before the Lord, to minister to him, and to bless his name to this day. First, Corinthians, First Chronicles 16, 4. Then he appointed some of the Levites as ministers before the ark of the Lord to invoke, to thank, and to praise the Lord, the God of Israel. Right? Couple that with how God talks about Thanksgiving. I mean, I, there's so many verses here. Second Chronicles 5, verse 13, the trumpeters and musicians join in unison to give praise and thanks to the Lord, accompanied by trumpets, cymbals, and other instruments. The singers raise their voice and praise to the Lord and saying, He is good, His love endures forever. Then the temple of the Lord was filled with the cloud. Verse 15 of 2 Corinthians 4, all this is for your benefit, so that the grace that is reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow overflow to the glory of God. 2 Corinthians 9, verse 11, you will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion, and through us your generosity will result in what? Thanksgiving to God. And you being generous, and you should minister to the Lord, because now you're showing that you're thankful to the Lord. I will give thanks to you, Lord, Psalm 9-1. With all my heart, I will tell of your wonderful deeds. I can go on. Philippians 4, 6, Psalm 107, Psalm 95, 2 and 3, 2 Corinthians 4, verse 15 and 16, 1 Timothy chapter uh, 4, verse 4 and 5, 1 Chronicles 16, verse 34, Psalm 7, uh, verse 17. I can go on and on about this concept of thankfulness and gratefulness. My point in that is that God has literally, he's done something in the cosmos where he's, he's created people and he's wired you to be grateful. Grateful and thankful people. And so literally when you and I are finding ourselves not experiencing that self-sacrificial life where we can recognize what God has done, but yet we're kind of self-consuming and we're kind of saying, well, this is what I need. And we're not really, we're kind of hedging our bets. We actually do not experience the joy that we all desire is what I'm trying to say. So I propose to you, he's hardwired you not to say, like, yeah, tell me how good I am. But when we're thanking God, that's, that's the way we minister to God. Because we're acknowledging that, that, we, that we need God, that he's, that he's done things in your life. That you see those things. And we start seeing what he does, it builds, it builds gratefulness. Hardwired. Verse 10, it says, as we pray most earnestly night and day that we may see you face to face and supply what is lacking in your faith. So these guys, he's saying, he said, man, we... We, we love you. We're excited to see you growing in the Lord. And we pray all the time. Earnestly, it's not like every day, all day he's praying, but that there's a posture of prayer in his life. He has a heart of prayer. And I talked about this whole concept of completing what is lacking. We've seen this in Philippians. I preached about it in Colossians. It's a sense where we know God doesn't lack anything, right? He, he, I mean, the cross is sufficient for our salvation. But what he's talking about here is what, what they're lacking is not that reality of what God has done. They're lacking that sense of people coming and loving them, right? So what's lacking in their faith uh, is that, man, they love and they want to see uh, Timothy and Silas and Paul. And so he's like, I send this guy over to complete what is lacking in your faith. And that is, that is the, uh, the, 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 the incarnational touch of the people who are serving and fighting with you. That's his point there. I want to propose in verse 10, how in the world can we emphasize prayer more, family, as we think about being the people of God? 
He says, we pray most earnestly. Now, can I just say this? And we're going to close in a couple minutes. We, we, as a world, the, the world has fooled us because we look at supply um, very differently to Christians should versus the world, right? Um, what I mean by that is that this conversation, when we ask, as, as in the world, we ask, and then if you keep asking, you come off greedy, right? right? That's what we think. And so I think we take that into Christianity. Now, you can be greedy as you're talking to God, but necessarily asking God over and over again isn't greedy. Actually, I'm proposing, actually, it's a really good thing. It acknowledges something. See, Paul considered himself indebted to God. Like We consider ourselves indebted to God because of all that God has done, not just salvifically, but also just in your practical life. So you're indebted to God. The world would say, man, I've done all this stuff for you. Would you just calm down and quit asking me for more stuff? But God is different. God has a different conversation. The reason why God wants us to continue to ask, and I want to make sure I, I say this right, although the world gives us a sense of shame to continue to ask, Contrary to the world, the idea is that God has done so much for you. Why will he not do even more? See the difference? The world says, I've done these things for you. Get off my back. God says, me doing things for you should be a testimony for you to ask more. You see the difference? That you and I should go. That, so that's why you can pray earnestly and continue to pray for something. Praise God that is kingdom advancement. And you can know that God wants you to because what you're acknowledging is that you realize that God actually supplies over and abundant. It honors God. It, it, it worships God. Asking does. So don't let bad doctrine hinder um, in a world where people are asking for all kinds of stupid stuff or people are asking it all because we, we get caught up in what the world says where God is saying he wants us to ask well. Verse 11 So he's praying night and day. He wants to see these guys face to face. Um, now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you. Um, this is for you guys who, Jehovah, like if you're dealing with Jehovah Witness or anything, this is a cool grammar piece. I won't stay in it too long. But what you have here is you have uh, two individual persons. You have a plural. Uh, but then you have uh, the verb being a singular verb. Um, I'm sorry, you uh, the plural subject and you have a singular verb. Usually you have a plural subject and a plural verb, which actually speaks to the, uh, the divine nature of the Trinity here, that he's, he's recognizing Jesus and the Father. Um, and also, just as a first century Jew, they would never have those two together when asking of God. So uh, just that was just kind of some academic stuff for you guys on the side there. Um, but what I want to say is, so he says, My now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus Christ, because this is a prayer, so he's asking both of them, direct our way to you. Now, can we just encourage you, encourage the saints real quick? Direct our way to you. So he's asking God to go to these people. I want to see him, Lord. I know it's your, your desire for me to preach the gospel. But then remember in, in, first, in first Thessalonians 2, 18, it says that Satan hindered them. Remember that. So this is interesting to me because Satan hindered them from actually going to see the Thessalonians. And I'm proposing to you, it comes off in my mind. Satan won at that point because he because he didn't get to see the Thessalonians until I think after the book of Ephesus, which was about years from then. Right. So he's asking God and then he says, man, Satan hindered us. And what I wanted to propose to you and other theologians will agree that this is a great opportunity for us to see the sovereignty of God, to behold the sovereignty of God. Because in those moments where you are praying and asking God for something, and then you actually know that God wants it to be about, but then it doesn't happen. 
You and I go, oh man, is God faithful? Did he not answer my prayer? And we get bummed out of shape. But think about what God here did here. Satan might think he won. I hindered him. He wanted to come. I didn't let him come. But guess what? Because he didn't let him come, guess what happened? First Thessalonians and second Thessalonians were written. Guess what happened? The church of God was ministered to and blessed for 2000 years because he didn't come. Do you hear that? If he would have gone, there'd have been no need for the letters. If there'd have been no letters, we wouldn't be talking about first Thessalonians right now. So even though Satan in the short term might think that he wins, always remember that God's scale is way bigger. And actually, God saw that he can get more glory by allowing Satan to hinder Paul, which would allow Paul to write two letters that would strengthen the church for all eternity. You see that? So think about that in your life. When things are happening or they don't happen, don't you go, oh, don't question the beautiful, awesome God. No, there must be something that he's doing where he's going to maximize his glory even more in your life. Always remember that. That he shows right here. Man, I wanted to come, didn't happen, but yet God had a bigger plan. And scriptures read, now may our God, verse 11, and Father himself and our Lord Jesus Christ direct our way to you. And he says, and may the Lord, verse 12, may, may the Lord make your, you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you. Guys, a sense of love again. I want my love to abound. To it's overflowing. I, I want it to be, you know, uh, a pastor said once, you know, when people, when people will leave churches, why do they leave churches, right? People say, I'm not getting fed, right? Um, I've heard, you know, the child, the children's ministry, you know, I want my kids to have a really nice children's ministry. Um, you know, I um, usually, it's I, I, I. Right. When's the last time you heard someone say, you know, why are you why are you leaving the church? I mean, I've, I've run out of people to minister to and bless. When have you heard that? Right. When have you when have you heard someone say, you know, uh, man, why, why are you leaving? Why are you leaving? Why are you leaving the church? Man, I just I just I just haven't been able to be self-sacrificial there anymore. I haven't been able to pour my life out. I haven't I haven't been able to. It's not, there's not many needs I can care for there. When have we heard that? When have we heard our deposit into or exiting of be about the people in which we are to serve? But see, I propose our neglect of the people of God is a reflection of our lack of selfless love. And may the Lord, verse 12, make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you, is what he says. You see that? Um, so that, verse 13, he may establish your hearts blameless and holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all of his saints. Man, blameless, he's saying, the sense of blameless, someone judged who are, who's acceptable to God, holy, he wants people to be a special possession of God. And he looks to this, the parousia. He says, at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, I want you to be established and blameless. Experience this joy. So when you stand before the Lord, your life poured out before you. You've cared for others. You've, you've been so sacrificial. He's wanting that for these guys. That's what he wants for them. 
That's what I want for myself, and that's what I want for you guys. My prayer is uh, we we just got work to do. Um, I mean, ask yourself: Are you are you self are you selfless? Like, are you self sacrificial? Are you concerned about yourself? What do you? How do you handle this? Well, I'm going to tell you. Here's what I think I want to propose that we do as a church. First, um, the doctrine we have in our, our binders, renew your mind. When you find yourself self-protecting, when you find yourself caring about your own needs and, and, and saying, I don't, you know, I, people, they're going to have to do their thing, but, but not really saying, Lord, okay, you've been really clear that um, you've, everything's yours. You're going to provide for me. You provide for the lilies of the field. Lord, Lord, give me the grace to be other-centered. That's going to take renewing of your mind, jumping, getting in the Word. Prayer. We see here, pray, praying and for each other, praying for yourself, asking God to give you this heart. You can't, we just can't establish this. This is God's grace to us. Um, can I ask you to consider repenting of self-love? Asking God to allow us as, as individuals to say, Lord, would you forgive me for just caring way too much more about myself uh, and not letting you care for me so that I can pour into other people? I'm proposing in this passage here, what you see is you see a man who's excited about the success of other people. And the reason why he can be excited about the success of others and excited about their growth is because he was so willing to give up himself. That seems, if you're asking, what's the point of the passage? That seems to be the point of the passage. There's a man who's modeling. I've given myself to you. And because of that, I can actually enjoy you. My prayer for us is that we can actually enjoy each other. A dear friend of mine said, man, he wants this body to thrive. You know, I told you that earlier, I want this body to thrive. But man, I know we're hustling. I know we're doing a lot. And just as Paul said, he says, I know you're loving. I want to encourage you all the more. This isn't, we're not doing anything. This isn't, we're bad. This is an awesome local community. But what I know we all need to do is continue to ask ourselves, how do I find myself being a consumer and not a dispenser of grace. And if we're all doing that, I think we'll see God move mightily. You pray with me. Lord, thank you for this grace. We pray that you would speak to us in this, that we would have combos in that group, combos with our friends. Allow us, give us that freedom to pour our lives out, Jesus. Allow us, as Paul did, to be more concerned about the welfare of others than ourselves, and in doing so, honoring you. Allow us to tap into the hard wiring of thanksgiving, the gift of love that you've allowed us all to have in the power of the Spirit, and allow us to dispense that so that you might be made much of. In Jesus' name, amen.